Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendoza and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn. I'm your host, Scott Babcock, and I'm here today with both of my counterparts, Daniel Mendoza and Sabrina Pontoni. You know, when you say shopping for an LMS, I just picture someone going through this software store and like with the little cart and they're just, you know, looking to pick things off the shelf. But yeah, when when someone's looking for an LMS, um, the one the one thing that I think the questions they sh- should ask is is definitely about um, service level. And this is where I would always start is is. You know, you're not just buying a piece of software, you're buying the support behind it because it's inevitable that you're going to have issues, going to have technical issues um, and other things. So I always encourage and I always try to, when I'm talking from the sales perspective, I always try to give information around our service levels and what we can provide to help support uh, the client um, that is looking for our product. It is funny that you mentioned like the marketplace people in a grocery store are going, Oh, I'll take a little bit of required training. I'll take a little bit of fun. I'll take a little e-learning uh, and you're just building things together. But yeah, I, I'll say the first question you probably need to ask is, is probably internal. Uh, I know that's probably not the question uh, here, but it will lead to the questions you're ultimately going to ask, but it's how do you want to use the platform itself? Like, um, cause I think there's, there's tremendous diversity in the world of any platform that's r- related to learning. Are you focused more on compliance? Uh, is this an audit tool for you? Is this something you're looking to get people to have fun and engage? Is this a like a, a talent management type of experience where you're trying to get people focused on what they're what's next in their career and trying to you know help retain people long term? So then you're talking about learning paths. I think internally you need to answer a lot of those questions before you're ever going to get to a place where you can start to really seek out the right partner when it comes to an, uh, what your your platform needs to be. Um, so I don't know, I probably turned that around uh, a little bit. It's not necessarily during the shopping, but it's, you almost need to, and I'll, I'll, I like a good analogy. So let's go back to it. Uh, when I go to the grocery store, I need to make a checklist of all the things I need to pick up. Cause otherwise I'm going to start wandering the store and buying a bunch of stuff I didn't need anyway. Um, sure. I need a, a car heater, electric blanket or something, which, you know, had nothing to do with my making chili for the weekend or so. Um, I always start with a good checklist. A lot of that has to be, what do I have in in the house? What do I need to get? What do I want to accomplish? What am I trying to make? Um, so if we're, we're going to carry this marketplace grocery store analogy out a lot more, like I would start with, I need to build my own checklist so I can ask the right questions. But I think that comes with you kind of answering some of your own thoughts on how you want to use the platform. That'd be my two cents. All right. Daniel's definition of learning and development. Um, adult learning theory is the process of adults learning new information and skills. In addition to there being a difference in motivation and enthusiasm between adult learners and children, there's also an obvious difference in level of existing knowledge. So adult learning theory is really how mature adults whose brain is completely mature um, learn and understand and digest new information. Well done, Daniel. Well done. No. Uh, Yeah. Look, we try to give you more of a a dictionary definition of things because... uh... It's, it's easier than trying to make it up as we go. Um, so we give you that that as a, as a context, but let's talk about it a little bit. So we talk about the difference. Typically, when we're talking about adult learning theory, 
we all were children at one point. That's how that works as we grow up. At one point, you had to start at the beginning there, too. And you learn a certain way as a child. We'll talk about some of the, the barriers that come up as an adult and think the way things change. But the way you will learn as an adult, your, your factors are different. Your environment is different. Your experience is different. Your education level is different. Uh, your influences from others, I think, is, is very different. Uh, we can talk a little bit about that, I think. Um, but adults do learn differently. We have to sort of acknowledge that and understand those differences in order to become successful in delivering content and training to adults. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to add just as a definition a little bit, we, we all, I look back to the podcast we recorded with your kids, uh, Scott, and, and, and had them on and, and had their, their thoughts. And you, we, we saw how free their mind is and, and typically everything we know and all the decisions we make are based upon kind of preconceived notions, um, potentially. So, um, I love the idea of adult learning theory and how to, how to drive through the noise, um, because it's important, um, in the roles that we're in and, uh, to help change behaviors. Yeah, I wanted to touch really quickly on that kind of that notion. And it's, it's not something we'll talk about necessarily as a barrier, but it's one of the things that does impact adult learning theory um, is you call it noise, I think is a good word. And there's a lot of noise that exists everywhere. Um, and as an adult, I think that noise level goes up significantly. But if you think about children, uh, we all had friends and we all went to school and uh, we, we tried to absorb information as much as you can. As, an, as a child, you were definitely a sponge, right? You're trying to get as much, even if you're not intentionally doing it. It's, it's constantly hitting your brain and you're making connections. We'll talk about that in a minute uh, as we talk about barriers as an adult. But the people around you don't know a lot more than you do, right? So they're not able to give you informed opinions or teach you things uh, as, an, as a child. So I'm, I'm looking at thinking of my fourth and my second grader um, and their friends tell them a lot of stuff, but they immediately don't really have a frame of reference. And they know their friends don't really know any more than they do intellectually on a lot of topics as they're getting older, that is becoming less and less true, but they don't necessarily take that as fact as adults. The people that are around you now have opinions. They have their own experiences and we acknowledge that. And I think critical thinking in that sense and really understanding like, what's the stuff I should take out of this as fact. Do I know that, uh, Billy is a bit of an exaggerator on everything. And those stats he's giving me probably aren't exaggerate. Like we start to have to think that way. And that in and of itself is something we're not going to spend a ton of time on probably. Um, but it is something to consider as an adult, they're getting a lot of voice from their peers. Uh, that's going to conflict with you uh, in some ways that kids just don't have. Uh, their friends are telling them stories about alligators underneath the bed that just, you know, they go, yeah, that's, that's not a thing. Right. So, um, much easier for them to sort of disseminate what's truth and fact, so, or false. So one of the things that we, uh, typically want to make sure we cover off on is how do you take what we're talking about and turn it into actions and behaviors that help you break down those barriers or help you succeed and achieve the goals that you have in mind and, and meet those objectives that you have in place. And, so that's what we want to focus on in our last kind of segment here today is we, we defined some barriers and we gave you the information around, it, but how do you overcome those things? And so uh, let's spend a few minutes at least talking about the things that you should at least consider, if not actually take action on to make these less of a barrier, less of an obstacle for your learners, for yourself, for your organization, um, so that you can be successful. We'll again start with uh, that decrease in neuroplasticity for your learners. 
Um, simply, this is about get ahead of it. Understand that it exists and then help design your content in a way that makes sure that users that are going to be consuming your materials are able to overcome that, that barrier. So again, understanding they have preconceived notions, they have prior experience, they have prior knowledge, and in some cases you're going to need to sort of break that down and change it is the key here. It's making sure that you intent uh, with intention plan for that in place so that they have the opportunity to overcome through your training uh, rather than just kind of force feed them new knowledge. And one of the things I find with the motivation to, to overcome this uh, comes down to empowerment, but also the question of what's in it for me. So talking to them about the benefits of learning new things or changing their behavior or not doing things that they typically have done. Um, I think of as a sales perspective, um, I started my career in digital marketing. So I spent a lot of time around social media. And when I was working in social media and other things, it was very much new to a lot of businesses. Now, you know, to see a business without social media accounts would be uh, like seeing a unicorn. Um, but going to someone who had run their business for 30 years um, and had been successful and telling them they needed to change the way they were marketing their company or branding their company, uh, you know, to their, to their audience was took a lot of resistance and you had to approach it as, you know, what's in it for them? How is it going to benefit their company? Not just, this is the way things are happening now, do this now. Um, talk to them about what's in it for them, how, what they're going to learn can benefit them and make their life easier, save them money, save them time, all those different things that people care about, uh, and day to day and empower them to be part of that conversation in improving their day to day by learning something new. So if we're going to start this off right, let's set the ground rules for our conversation. Uh, you are a company. Um, I don't know that size necessarily matters because we've dealt with clients who are, are large, small, in the middle somewhere. Um, but the premise is you either have never had an LMS or you've had some very rudimentary LMS stuff, maybe just for simple compliance. Um, but you really haven't gone down a large implementation. So we're not just transferring over what you had. You're kind of starting from a place where you don't have many e-learnings. You don't have much that's in digital. Uh, perhaps you've done everything in classroom. So it's all just paper-based um, and you want to get going on an LMS. Um, this could be to reach internal partners. Uh, so your own employees, it could be external enterprise where you're trying to reach other uh, people you work with that maybe are outside of your organization, but you are starting from the ground zero and you need to escalate quickly to get in your entire new training platform uh, with it locked and stocked and ready to roll for all of your new learners. The biggest transition moment is, um, and in the conversation that I had last week, is you're going from, this is how we run our business. Oh yeah, and we need to train those people too, to here's my business strategy and plan, and here's my training plan, and here's how they work together. So. I think that's the biggest, uh, because that's always the, the phrase we hear of like, well, yeah, we also need to train those people. And I think it's, it's making that transition and that mental shift to hear of our two strategies together. So let's, let's start with uh, how we sort of often hear about this and sort of your, your initial setup, right? So we, we've tasked you with, this is where you're coming from. How did you get there? And I think it, it's always kind of uh, amazing to us that this is sort of the starting place with so many of our interactions that uh, often what happens is uh, 
someone at a level, usually somewhere above you, comes to you and says, hey, Daniel, uh, I know you're the director of sales and marketing, but here's the deal. We need a learning management system. I heard about it in this podcast uh, called If You Build It, Will They Learn? Or I was at this conference and this guy was speaking um, and he was super enlightening. Uh, he had a goatee and he wore this TriStar baseball hat, whatever, right? Like, um, but I, we need one. And I know you really don't do that, but I'm going to need you to pull it together. And uh, now, granted, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious, right? I'm trying to make it a little bit more fun. But the reality is it's not that far off. A lot of times the guy or the girl or the lady or the woman uh, who gets tasked with, I need you to do this, doesn't do that, right? That's not their goal. They've not, they don't maybe have a background in learning. They're part of the HR department or they've done talent acquisition and recruiting. They've done marketing. They're part of the sales team. They're part of the operations teams. Um, and this is now another hat that they're being asked to wear. And a lot of times they don't come with a background that enables that. So let's start with that premise that a lot of times that's how this works is that you are someone in the organization who gets tapped on the shoulder and says, we need this, execute. Um, so Daniel, if, you, if you're starting from that frame of reference, is there an area that you think to yourself, okay, I got to begin here as I begin this journey because I don't really know what's next? Step, step one for me is always figuring out everybody who could potentially be involved or who could potentially benefit from this organizational change or shift in learning. Um, you in this, in this scenario have be give, you know, been given the, the responsibility to be the champion of this new learning and training initiative, but by no means are you the person who is, is solely responsible for it or is solely going to benefit from it, uh, when it, when it is positive. So don't work in a silo. Um, don't operate in a silo um, because there's so many new ideas about that. So, for example, if you're let's just let's just throw the scenario and you're and you're a product manufacturing company, you have a product to which you sell uh, to a market. It doesn't matter what that product is. Um, you may have a retail division. You may have a commercial division who could who could benefit from it. You may have distributors and dealers and internal salespeople and all sorts of different divisions that that are involved in the, the sale development distribution of this product. And this platform, this training platform is gonna reach everybody. So step one is always figure out who all the stakeholders are, who can be impacted by this, who can benefit from it, whose business strategy and direction is going to influence uh, what you produce and get everybody on board and talk to them about the initiative and, and learn what they would love to see out of this general initiative. So let's bring it all home. And the reality is, okay, so we know what specialization is. We know what generalization is. We've seen it in life a little bit, and we know how it can, can show up. We've talked about some of the pitfalls an organization makes, but as always, like, what do you do with that information? How do you take that back and make change, institute change, think differently about these things? Uh, within your own organization, your own role, your own departments, whatever that might be. And there's a whole bunch of things you can do. Uh, Daniel mentioned one of them. I think it's it's a lesson I learned quite a while ago while working uh, at Best Buy. And it was someone presented the idea of mastery versus movement. It was probably the first time in my career that I didn't make the automatic assumption that I had to be really good vertically, right? This is me going up a ladder until I become the director or the VP or eventually a CEO or whatever. And it was always about mastery, which is tackle this, get really good at it, 
take the next task, get really good at it, move up the ladder, move up the ladder. And the reality is someone then said, it's okay to be okay to think about or the movement versus mastery component is maybe I'm okay where I am and I'm really found my niche, right? And that can be specialty. Movement can also be lateral, right? So it doesn't always have to be you're going up the ladder, but maybe you're gonna step across the hall and go up the stairs instead because um, you found another department. And so letting people find their path or be okay just getting really good. And that's that specialization. Generalization might be, I need to branch out. I need to try some things and, and give them a run at it. I think on that note, like one of the things that I've seen with younger employees who have come here right out of university or, you know, our, our clients who we work with, I, I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough is that you know, not moving upward in your role is actually okay. And I think people sometimes validate their um, value with promotions and growth uh, in, in a company. And I know people don't want to be a base level employee their entire life, but also, you know, with higher roles and responsibilities come additional, um, or higher roles come additional responsibilities as well, and additional stresses and other things. So I think part of that specialization, generalization, mastery versus movement conversation is if you're a mentor and if you have people that you work with who are young and, and looking for telling them that it's okay to master a role and become a specialist after you found your passion is okay. You don't always have to be changing roles and changing adjustments. You don't have to be a manager of people um, or process. You must be really good at what you do. Um, it's something that I guess I think gets lost because everybody's always striving to be the best thing they can be. Um, and, but you can be the best thing you can be in a single role and, and over time. Well, and you can also be really good at it without feeling the pressure, right? I, I think it was Mark Twain who once said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh -huh. And the reality is if you love what you do, why should you feel forced to go do something else? Right. And that's okay. Uh, I've worked with folks in the past who constantly were peppered with, Hey, you're, you're a manager in this department. Wouldn't, don't you want to be a general manager of the store or this, that, and they're like, no, I love what I do here. And I think if I take on that other role, I won't be able to do this as much. And that, that's, that's self-awareness. That's really important. And then you become really, really good at what you do. Uh, and you, you, you can have that encouragement. So as an organization, are you supporting that kind of thought process to say, I really want to specialize in this and dig in, or do you want to broaden and get more experience that you can bring back to a, maybe a larger role that you need to find? So that's a really good one that you can focus on. Um, and a good segue then is if we're talking about someone who has said, look, I haven't found my niche yet. I haven't found my sweet spot. Are you providing learning paths or opportunities for people to get experience and exposure without having to just immediately jump from role to role to role? Can you broaden their horizons and give them a view? So if I am in sales, can I take training knowledge increase instructional areas that show me a little bit about what logistics is like or a little bit about finance or a little bit about operations can i start to peek over the fence really going to carry this greener pasture on the other side <laughs> as far as i can but can i peek over the fence and really get a look at the grass uh, without necessarily jumping the fence and going whole hog into that other field right and if you have those windows you can start to have people who are still executing on the job they have today but it's not a bad thing to let them start to feel out and get information. I want to bring something up on what you just said, because this is a conversation we had with a, an HR talent acquisition department who we work with at a, at a client. They said one of the biggest issues that they ran into over throughout COVID and the pandemic with being remote was that people didn't know that they could peek over the fence in their own organization. 
Yeah. If they weren't happy in their own role, they chose to go to a different company and apply externally rather than just speak to their manager and talk to HR and think about moving departments in their own organization. Because realistically, different departments in the same organization are different companies. They, they have their own process. They have their own product and service that they provide either externally or externally. So um, that was one of the big challenges. And so you see a lot of people talking about the great resignation, jumping from job to job to find what fits for them. And everybody I know personally who is doing that or has done that is very um, dissatisfied with where they're at in their current role because they're always starting fresh. And starting fresh is a bunch more information you need to learn yourself, um, a bunch more information or process that you have to digest, get comfortable with, new people, um, all those things. So that's a big, um, something that's interesting. I think to move past that, like you said, you want to have conversations with people. Take, you know, we have a thing at Haley, and I always say this when new employees join, when, when I meet with them is nobody's too busy to have a conversation with you, right? And, and I'll always have conversations with new employees here, but reach out to managers or directors in the departments that interest you and ask questions and, and talk to them about what their day job looks like and if there are opportunities to open up. So all that's possible, um, you know, even in a remote world. Yeah, and I, I, I'm amazed because I think I'm with you that most of the people that I have found that leave also tend to leave the next job within a window that would be way too short to actually know if you like it. That always blows me away that like they've not only jumped ship and they've gone over to try this other thing, but then they leave again in like 60 more days. And you're like, man, it, it takes 90 or 120 for a year to fully get yourself ingrained, to understand all the people, to understand the culture and everything else. Like, and then you're just starting over again and you're having to do that again and again and again and again. How do you ever really find your niche? So um, if you can take some of that out and say like, look, I already know this company. I already understand our culture high level. Um, I understand some systems. I understand some processes. That leap to that next job within your own organization is often less scary or uh, more predictable in, in a way that can be really beneficial. Um, and I'll say this because I always find it interesting. We're always a bit hesitant to let someone leave our department, but the reality is I've often found that that then becomes the biggest advocate to work with as a business partner, Yep. right? Like, so now you have someone who knows how you do your work and what, what pitfalls you have and what struggles you go through and how they represent you on the other side of the, of the wall. And so you often get a better business partner uh, by letting them expand. That's just another benefit, I guess, to that as well. Um, the upside to things like when we talk about training and giving people that that view is that you're also doing it at a low risk, right? So if you go try another um, organization and you're gonna have all this coming at you through a fire hose, right? Whereas this you can kind of sample if you're, if you're building that within your own organization and you're, you're given the opportunity to explore learning opportunities or paths within your own organization, there's just less of a feeling of being overwhelmed. And I think that's a big sense of advantage for your employees to feel that lack of pressure. Uh, that often comes with having to like really perform right away out of the gates. Yeah. And I think just to add with that, like a lot of the way we, the world we live in right now, um, this is a little bit on a tangent, but I'm going to say it anyways. We talked about the world we live in and how we serve people today. So when you deal with organizations, customer service is a hundred percent right away and, and you get instant gratification, instant response. Hey, you want something from Amazon, you return it the next day it's there. And, and all those things where when you join an organization, the people who are stressed out because of that is the employees. The employees are pushed 
And most employees now don't have a calm, cool, collected onboarding period. Uh, they take their training, they they onboard, and you know, thirty days, and they're they're working. Yeah. And that can, like you said, overwhelm people and to want to jump to something else because it doesn't feel like that was what the job description says, or it's it's way too fast moving. And it's mostly because you just really don't have a full understanding of what you're supposed to be doing, so you feel overwhelmed. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a a crazy you know environment to be in, but always implore people to master their own role and you know peek in other places and and explore to see if you have other passions um but don't make rash decisions yep and you know we, we've talked about this from the adult learning theory and i'll you know, maybe we put this one to bed and stop kind of beating this over and over this drum over and over again but um we've talked about it from like adult, adult learning theory and we've talked about it we think about the modern learners some studies that have been done Learners want choice when they get to a place where they're adults and they don't want to be dictated to more often than not. So you're actually speaking to your learners as well by letting them find opportunities and, and pursue their own, if you will, agenda or their preferences. Um, and so, you know, that one size fits all approach, if you can find a way to break that mold, I think you'd find great success. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks, but have a good one, everybody. Talk to you later. You said have a good one. I know. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com. Thank mm-hmm. you.